0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Less than 1% of the world's diamonds are worthy of the Forevermark inscription, a promise of beauty, rarity, and responsible sourcing. Forevermark, a diamond is forever. Find your design at forevermark.com.
1: This episode of Little Gold Men is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer cold gold men. that's G-O-L-D-M-E-N, at checkout to get 10% off Squarespace, build it beautiful.
0: Welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the Hollywood editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here in person with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. And Richard Lawson is still at Sundance, but he'll be joining us later, so don't fret, Richard fans. This week, we'll dive into the topic that's dominated all of the Oscar conversations much more than the awards themselves, which is the push for the Academy to include more films featuring people of color and the Academy's significant rule changes that were in response to this ongoing debate. We'll also have some commentary on the topic from some of the people we talked to at Sundance, including Don Cheadle, Spike Lee, and John Legend. And then from there, we'll pivot back to Sundance and talk about what might become some of the biggest films of the year as Richard and Mike fill us in on all the hot titles from Sundance. And finally, we'll go big before we go home and dive back into yet another impossible-to-predict category Best Director. The online debate that began last year with the hashtag OscarsSoWhite returned in force this year when the Oscar nominations for the second year in a row featured no actors of color and very few nominations for minorities in general. But unlike last year, this time it sparked real change. The Academy announced a major change to their set of rules that overall aim to include a broader range of films in the nominations in the future and change the makeup of the people who vote on those awards. Maybe the most significant part of this is that it will keep them from being as embarrassed as they seem to have been this year. Mike, let's start with those rule changes and then get into what this whole conversation has been. What did the Academy do and did they do enough?
2: Well, the big thing that they did is strip voting rights away from people who haven't been active for a while. So basically... If you're nominated for an Oscar, you're in the Academy, you, you have voting rights for life. If you haven't been nominated for an Oscar, but you do get invited into the Academy or you, you've made it into the Academy, your voting rights end after 10 years unless you have done something. And that's where it gets super nebulous because yeah. it's unclear what kinds of things you would have to do to keep your voting rights active. And you can bet that there will now be some kind of weird little cottage industry for that. Um, <laughs> but uh, But and they also so you know they spell out very clearly on their, or as clearly as you could hope for on their website, that it, there's actually a way for over 12 years for you to get 30 years worth of voting rights because it's going by 10-year 10 Ten year periods. periods. Yeah. So
0: it's 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 complicated, but they uh, you know there's room there's room for it to be fuzzy, which I think yeah. is important. Ba- so that basically,
2: and just to explain that, if you worked in 1989, 1995, and 2001 that would give you 30 years worth of voting rights, apparently. I'm yeah. a little bit, you know. And it's all
0: based on when you were admitted to the academy. So right. I think the reason that it's a little, that there's a lot of loopholes is so that they don't get someone who admitted to the academy kind of at the end of a long career and then has retired since then and then doesn't get thrown out. Yeah. Because they, they want to avoid the embarrassment of some, you know, film legend saying that they've been thrown out of the academy and they're leaving it up to the branches themselves. So it's not some, you know, high, mighty academy board of governors that's saying you're kicked out. It's your fellow sound designers or production designers or whatever.
2: And they're very clear that you're not kicked out, you're yeah. just no longer a voting member, and they're not going to publicize who's a voting member and who's not. And you not. still get your screeners. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff about how you still get your screeners, although they don't really control that. And you got to know that the studios are going to be able to figure out who's voting and who's not yeah. and stop wasting screeners on people what who if aren't they,
0: voting. They, they waste screeners on me. I have like four copies of The Big Short, and yeah. I don't know. No one seems that concerned about
2: it. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, a lot of people are saying that – This is just a cosmetic change that will, that just gets the PR stuff off their back. But I actually think it's quite a significant change. And then a lot of the older voters who are facing irrelevancy are quite upset. The Hollywood Reporters run one sort of annoying op ed after another (laughs) by sort of self pitying academy members. One of the guys who was quoted by Scott Feinberg in The Hollywood Reporter. I looked him up and it turns out he was, you know, basically a freedom rider. He was down south in the 60s, you know, at lunch table sit ins with Martin Luther King or whatever. And so he's very offended. A lot of these folks are offended. How can you blame us for the race problem? You don't know who, or Oscar's diversity problem. You don't know who we voted for. And of course, they sound ridiculous saying, like, I actually voted for an African American. Mm -hmm. It's like the old, I have a lot of black friends friends thing. But. You know, as much as I can see that 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 those folks feel offended, I also think that this is a bit of a problem. I mean, there's a lot of people, this whole voting for life thing, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who weren't Freedom Riders in the 60s who are voting. And at the end of the day, you know, times change and, 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 and perspectives change. It's like, I hate to say this, but with all due respect, people over 50, like, don't get hip hop. You ever notice that? <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> It's like anyone over 50, they're just like, why do you like this? You know, and, and it's just like an aesthetic thing. It's not anybody's fault. It's just times change. And if you're not understanding what's good about new films, then maybe, you know, and if you're not still in the game, I don't know. I could see it. Well, it's not the of, worst idea to me.
0: One of the other big changes they're making is the way that people get admitted into the academy. The way it used to work is you had to be sponsored by a current member. And that now they're beginning. They haven't really defined what these programs are going to be, but they're going to be reaching out to more people and find new voices who they can admit who don't necessarily have connections to someone already in the academy. Right. So they add new people every year, and they put they release that list, and that list has skewed younger and more diverse for the last 10 years or so. But now it's just going to increase that. So the idea is that you filter out some of the people who haven't been active for a long time, and then you replace those voices with people who are active, with people who are coming from around the world. I mean, maybe they'll be adding more international directors. Like, there's a lot of potential, depending on who they add in there, for making change. And as you said, I think that is the only way to make a significant change in what, what gets gets nominated. Like some of the ideas going around were expanding the best picture field back to a full 10 or expanding the acting fields to 10, kind of under the guess that like straight out of Compton might have made it in this year if it were a bigger field. But that's a really temporary change that still doesn't affect what people are likely to choose. So by changing the makeup of the Academy, that seems like the actual best way to affect change.
2: Yeah, I think that that's right. They're also adding three seats right on their board of governors governors. that are explicitly for women and people of color.
0: That's harder. It's going to be harder for us to see what it does, but presumably within how the organization works. It's like all very internal changes as opposed to let's increase the best picture field, which I think makes way more
2: sense. Yeah. And I think the reality is that at some level, Oscar is being blamed for something that afflicts the entire industry and, in fact, our entire country. Right. Mm -hmm. It affects the media. Let's not be hypocrites. Like, we've got a lot of work to do on our side as well. But on the other hand, you know, it's good to see them. But they have an African-American president and she's making changes. And I think that that's important. And, you know, I I think some of the whining is a little bit unseemly, but I understand why people – nobody wants to be – accused of or blamed for racism. But I think that people who are feeling aggrieved should maybe just calm down Mm -hmm. and understand that like whatever problem they're experiencing is probably not nearly as bad as what other people are experiencing.
0: Well, and the the thing that I keep realizing with everyone saying this is like, well, I'm not racist, so don't blame me for this. But that's really different from being a participant in systemic racism. Like there's no yes. understanding of how a body can be racist without any of its individual members having conscious racial and bias. And it's
2: all to do with unconscious aesthetic judgments. You know, there was one of these guys who wrote and he said, you know, Selma, I mean, let's know everyone's afraid to say that Selma is the worst shot movie that I've ever seen. And you just think, ah, like, I just don't think that that's true. I don't know. I'm not a director, but I didn't watch that film thinking this movie's bad. I've
0: seen some garbage movies I can send that person to that are much, much worse.
2: Uh, you know it's just and uh, so I think that there is unconscious bias it's not doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you part of a very fucked up country that yeah. has a horrific original sin, you know yeah. I mean, you know, our forefathers or whoever's forefathers brought over millions of people and treated them like property, and it as a result, our society's super fucked up, like well, you know you don't have to feel. It's not your fault, but you try not to keep perpetuating it.
0: Well, it's like for a long time, people were able to say, I don't dislike gay people. I just dislike this one gay person I know. But then as more and more people have come out and more people get to know gay people, that bias goes away. Like this is documented yeah. that people are less homophobic when they have more people around them. And when you say people, see people say, I'm not racist, I just don't think Straight out of Compton was that good, which, fine, that's your opinion. But you, as you get more films directed by people of color and featuring people of color, you can't – eventually you have to say, oh, wait, do I not like all of these movies featuring people? Of color, And you're not saying you have to vote for right along, too. But if there are more films that are coming up in Oscar conversation that involve people of color, eventually you either have to acknowledge your bias or vote for one of them.
2: Well, there's an insidious side to that, too, because for a long time, the excuse was always, oh, we tried that and it didn't work. Yeah, you know, we tried a movie. We tried a black director and nobody went to see it. I yeah. mean, th- and there's still and a the version women, of that. Same with women,
0: same with Asian or anybody. You can Asian hear leads.
2: that. You know, Peter Barton and, and Mike Fleming had an interesting back and forth on deadline. But you could even hear it in one of the things Mike Fleming said, which is that producers say that when they go to overseas distributors, if they have a list of white actors versus a list of black actors, they'll get 60 percent more money for the white actors. Yeah. I don't know if this is true. It, he didn't credit to anybody. It, he that's didn't a, say who that's it was.
0: A, you hear a version of that, like Will Smith was the only – Will Smith or Denzel Washington it, the right. only they black said, actors who sold overseas.
2: Unless it's Will Smith, third Jensen Washington. Look, for all I know it's true, but like it, so that's not an excuse. Like and that's not okay. We'd have to keep trying anyway. Keep making keep elevating people. Maybe we're not doing a good enough job of elevating great African American actors here so that they're known overseas, you know? Yeah,
0: and it's also, that's also not the math that Oscar movies operate under. Like obviously they want to make money overseas, but if you're uh, making a movie like The Theory of Everything or the Danish Girl or something that doesn't already read Babe. I'm picking on him. But it's not about the overseas gross. It's about the prestige. It's about the bump from the Oscar nomination. It's about putting that seal on your DVD. Like it's a totally different
2: economy. And you're telling me Vin Diesel, you can't make a movie with Vin Diesel in it? You know, Furious Seven. Yeah, yeah. Those have some of the most diverse
0: casts in the industry.
2: Uh, And I also thought what Chris Rock said was really interesting, talking about Kevin Hart. Why does Kevin Hart have to cross over when he can sell out a room of 40,000 people and Jon Stewart sells out 5,000? Why is Kevin Hart the one who's like, you know, in race pictures? or whatever the current yeah. version of that is.
0: Yeah, it's the, these it's like systems within systems yeah. that are meant to, that are based on kind of old ideas of a dividing audiences and also a cynical idea of what audiences will embrace. I mean, yeah. they have a black lead in Star Wars and that's the biggest movie in history. Like, right. that tells you that, you know, audiences are ready for something that maybe you're not acknowledging.
2: You know, I think that these structural changes are probably a good idea, but someone with a whole lot more authority than I do said that to us up at Sundance. So I spent a few days producing videos uh, with Chris Smith, our West Coast editor, who did a fabulous job, really just talking to all kinds of folks about all kinds of things. But one of the things we wanted to do was talk to African American you know actors and entertainers uh, who have real authority in this area and ask them what do you think about this? What do you think about what's being proposed? What do you think should be done? And John Legend, who actually won the only Oscar for Selma for Best Song, Glory, said that, you know, as a as a voting member, he thinks that these structural changes are a good idea. Let's uh, go to that clip.
3: Clearly,
1: two years in a row, there haven't been any actors of color nominated for any of the 20 uh, uh, mm-hmm. slots that could have actors um, nominated. And I think that it's been pretty glaring. And I think um, this is not a new thing that the academy is not very diverse, um, but it's become even more glaring lately. And I think what the academy has decided to do, and I'm a member of the academy now, but what they've decided to do I think is a good thing to try
3: to uh, recruit a more diverse base of, mm-hmm. of creative people to make up the academy, to make up the voting body, so that the votes reflect... Uh, more of the diversity of the creative community and
1: the community at large, mm-hmm. and I think that's an important step
2: and so unfortunately, the way the dynamic works is people kind of have to be shamed out of being such <laughs> ignorant people or of
0: not, not okay, so not being ignorant this is yeah but like not being willing to reconsider. That the world has being changed
2: blind to your own prejudices you know yeah. we all like to tell ourselves where well, I'm a good person and one of the weird things about being white in the United States is it's very easy to not notice that you're getting tons of privileges everywhere you go you know and and it's just different than and and so the self-pitying responses and the you know why are you blaming me responses, it's just not a good look, and that's why people are getting ripped apart for it. So my advice to anyone who gets asked about this, if you are going to answer it, is don't go the self-pitying route. Don't offer some weird theory that only you and your white friends have discussed to make each other feel better. (laughs) You know? Like, express support for the people who are trying to to keep change moving, you know? And just because you were involved in change that happened 50 years ago does not mean that you understand this situation right now. I hate to say it, but that's the reality.
0: So for a while, I thought that Uh, blaming the Oscars for this was kind of missing the point that because it's such a larger problem and so systemic in Hollywood that if you're mad at the Oscars for not nominating enough actors of color like you really have to look at the root of the problem but now I'm starting to think that the conversation around this I mean it it means something that, that Oscar So White started last year and built up steam this year that When you can start this conversation, it really can grow and snowball, and I'm starting to feel like this is going to change larger things. Like they just, you know, 24, the new version of 24 that's coming on Fox just cast um, one of the leads from Straight Outta Compton to lead it. Like there's a, and that was in the works before the Oscars controversy. But it it does feel like there's a there's a snowball kind of building based on a very small, you know, selecting 20 actors from the year to give Oscars to. But it's going to turn into something larger,
2: which is exciting. Right. Well, exactly. It's the. I mean, there's two things going on. One is that broadly. It's a, it's an opportunity to talk about a much bigger problem, mm-hmm. right? And what's happening is you're hearing from all kinds of folks, and we're going to hear from a few. You know, it's worth noting that there haven't been any African-American actors who have come out and said, oh, come on, there's nothing happening here. There's no issue. No, no, everyone knows. Every single one of them is coming forward saying, well, now that we're talking about it, this and this and this yeah. and this. And so And so that's kind of hopefully opening people's eyes for a minute. Everyone gets paranoid and defensive. And then hopefully we sort of say like, OK, there's still a lot of... Work to do, of course, there's work to do. Yeah. You know? And secondly, I do think, and I want to cut to a a clip to illustrate this, but the Oscars incentivize the spending of money. In in Hollywood, you know, there's two reasons to make a movie. Or there's a few reasons to make a movie. One is like you actually believe in it and have an artistic vision. Um, fine. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, <laughs> but but that's not going to get you financed necessarily, mm-hmm. right? So one is, you know, I, I can make, sell millions of tickets to this hopefully uh, in the United States and around the world. And the other one is I can get some awards consideration and then sell more tickets than I otherwise would have if I just had some weird movie that's not like a Furious Fast and Furious movie. One of the great responses we got from was from Don Cheadle. And he spoke specifically about his film Hotel Rwanda and, and his aha moment when he realized what Oscar consideration means monetarily.
4: You know, I was sitting with a studio head who will remain nameless when Hotel Rwanda was uh, nominated. But prior to that, we were at the Screen Actors Guild's Award, the Screen Actor Guild's Award. And he said to me, as if I couldn't hear him, kind of out to no one, he said, yeah, well, if we don't get an Academy Award nomination, we're, I'm not going to spend any more money on this movie. Hmm. I was like, what? I can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> he said, yeah, well, I'm not going to spend any more marketing on the film if, if we don't get no. it. doesn't make sense. And that's the first time I went, holy shit, it, mm-hmm. it is important for your film. It does matter. Up until that point, I was like, who cares? It's a, you, he's better, she's better, it doesn't matter. But when you realize that, no, this is yeah. potential lifeblood for a lot of people and opportunities to parlay and opportunities to you know, get your next job potentially and the amount of money that a movie's going to make. There are some material results that happen in that process, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's about many more things than getting a statue.
0: So Don Cheadle was nominated for an Oscar for Hotel Rwanda, which is you know part of why it did get money spent on it, and yes. the still a movie that we've heard of, and that was a really interesting period. That was a couple of years after Halle Berry was the first uh, and only black woman to win Best Actress. There was kind of a, does a, was a Washington won another Oscar? There was a period where these black actors were succeeding with the Academy, which I think is what has made the last couple of years so dismaying to people, because we know that it's possible to not have all white Oscar nominees.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of the Oscar voters are saying, you know, what are you talking about? Like, it just happens that these Past two years, there haven't been the performances, but it just doesn't feel like that's a good enough no, answer. No, and, not, and you know? especially
0: not with movies like Straight Outta Compton and Creed last year, Beyond the Lights and Selma out there. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not good enough.
2: Well, and and also, you know, there's an implicit criticism people have said have been blaming, you know, the way that Creed was marketed or the way that Straight Outta Compton was marketed, but arguably they were marketed that way because of an assumption of how Oscar view voters. View movies, mm-hmm. right? What's it's an a, Oscar movie? We talk about that all the time. And, it's a chicken and, and the egg situation. You know, the fact that Brian Cranston is nominated for Trumbo and Michael B. Jordan was not nominated for Creed is about all you need to know about the implicit assumptions that go on with Oscar voters. Yeah. So obviously all these white people are are making asses of themselves talking about this and maybe I'm doing the same <laughs> Hopefully right
0: we're not among them. <laughs> um,
2: but I think that it's important to talk about it. And one of the reasons I, I am confirmed in that belief is what Spike Lee said to us. You know, he talked about... How during, you know, Martin Luther King's marches, the, the people who were there from Hollywood, the biggest stars, white stars in Hollywood were there. Let's, let's listen to Spike talking to Krista. In 1963, these are the people that marched with Dr. King.
3: Josephine Baker, Odetta, Joan Baez, Bob Dylan, Ozzie Davis, Mary Jackson, James Gardner, James Baldwin, Jackie Robinson. Frankie, Frank Mankowitz, Sammy Davis Jr., Ruby D. Harry Belafonte, Marlon Brando, Burt Lancaster, Paul Newman, his wife, Joan Ward, and Charlton Heston before he went R.A. crazy. <laughs> so there's a president of Hollywood absolutely standing up. Mm-hmm. I would like to see more of that. I think, oh, I'm just going to read the the, the white think? actor again for again. Bob Dylan, Joan mm-hmm. Baez. James Gardner, Marlon Brando, Burt Lancaster, Paul Newman, Joan Ward, Charlton Heston. These individuals marched with Dr. King in 1963.
0: And they were also the biggest stars at that exactly. time. Exactly. That's the point. Who? movie stars. Yes.
3: Who? No, oh, now,
2: if you get the, get the version, who's today's version of these actors? You don't have to name names. What have they said? So I, I think Spike's point is, is well taken. You know, he did credit George Clooney with, uh, with coming out and making a statement. And, you know, George Clooney kind of has that authority and also the brains that maybe not everybody else has. But I think another thing <laughs> that is also worth pointing out is that at that time it was easy in a way to march with Dr. King in the South – and blame the South for racism. I think mm. what's happening here that's hard it's is that inward. this is Hollywood racism. Yeah. And it's, it's very different. And it's different. an industry
0: that's supposed to be the kind of a progressive flag bearer, you know, it's been yeah. congratulating itself for crash for you know, 10 years. This is
2: very difficult for Hollywood self-image. And and that Variety cover that just was announced last night, I think it's a shame on us. I mean, you know, this is hard for Hollywood. And it's also more subtle, the thing that we're going for. Look, it's kind of like Jennifer Lawrence, the, the, Ricky Gervais' joke about Jennifer Lawrence – like oh i feel so bad for her. she only made 40 million dollars mm-hmm. last year or whatever it was you know at some level it's different to say i'm i'm it's illegal for me to sit at the lunch counter yeah. versus i didn't get, Oscar I didn't get enough oscars and i yeah, can yeah, yeah. i do understand some people being like nobody gets enough oscars <laughs> like but i think so the bigger picture is there aren't enough You know, projects. There aren't enough decision makers. There aren't enough. You know, it's just there's something weird implicit happening. It has to do with knee jerk uh, assumptions, I think, more than overt racism. But it's still a problem. It's it's the thing that you know we need to fix now in 2016 versus 1963.
0: And you know, if the if it weren't an implicit problem that no one knows how to deal with, then the furious. The Furious 7 or the Fast and Furious franchise would have been copied a million times. But that movie with its very diverse cast that appeals to very diverse audiences hasn't been copied by other blockbusters, which almost all still star, star largely white people. No. So there's still like, a, you know, the, the Hollywood system kind of breaks down what the usual process of just copying what's successful when race gets involved, which kind of proves how scared everybody is.
2: Yeah. So the last uh, point that I wanted to highlight was something really smart and hopefully obvious that Spike Lee points out, which is that, you know, it's not just about being morally correct here. This is about business, you know? Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's listen to what he has to say. United States Census Bureau has reported by the year 2043,
3: white Americans are going to be a minority. This is, this is a very diverse country. It's going to be more diverse. So to get about what's the right thing to do. I think people just think about the bottom line. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you, if we move forward and you have a company that's not taking account the diversity of this country or your workforce doesn't reflect that, you're going to lose business. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where I'm at.
0: There is a way to do this. You don't just have to make it niche movies where it's like, here's our movies for black people and here's our movies for Latinos and then here's our prestige movies for white people. Like, that divide doesn't make sense anymore based on the way that the country is changing, as Spike Lee points out. Well,
2: and you referenced Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars is a good example of that. You know, it's not, it wouldn't be tenable uh, on any level to have an all-white cast. I mean, it wasn't tenable for Return of the Jedi that had Lando Calrissian, but like <laughs> really now there has to be diversity stitched into the entire thing. Yeah. And that's partly because we live in a more sort of conscious society thanks to lots of very uh, progressive millennials. And it's partly because it's good business. Yeah. You know, you want to sell the thing around the world. You want people to see themselves in the movie. Yeah, and, and I think that that is what gives me hope about this whole thing. It's growing pains. It's, you know, progress is, uh, you know, goes in fits and starts. But I think that at the end of the day, this will all evolve in a good way. It's just getting there is sort of painful.
0: Yeah, this is going to be an awkward period for the Academy as they try to call their ranks and tell people they can't vote anymore. That's going to involve a lot of angry phone calls. But I think 10 years from now, we'll look and see not only the new makeup of the Academy, but hopefully the new slate of films that are getting nominated for Oscars and realize that this was a really important step. And if 10 years from now, there are movies like Selma still not getting nominated, then I don't know what we're going to do. There's a to blow up the Oscars and start all over again
2: we'll focus on the golden globes in that case oh god and i just want to mention you can listen to longer versions of these interviews Mm -hmm. and many many more at video.vanityfair.com or on our youtube channel
0: let's pause for a word from our sponsor In Forevermark's pursuit of absolute beauty, every Forevermark diamond undergoes a journey of rigorous selection. That's why less than 1% of the world's diamonds are worthy of the Forevermark inscription, a promise of beauty, rarity, and responsible sourcing. Each Forevermark diamond originates at a carefully selected source that provides benefits to its country and local community. This ensures that a Forevermark diamond helps improve the lives of those involved in its journey so you can feel proud to give, own, or wear your Forevermark diamond. Forevermark, a diamond is forever. Find your design at forevermark.com. So, while well, you could have stayed in New York to see a whole lot of snow. For some reason, Mike, you, and uh, Richard, who is now joining us via phone, uh, trekked out to Utah. Uh, as far as I can tell, neither of you died on a ski slope or bought a movie for $10 million. So I would chalk it up as a Sundance success. But uh, Richard and Mike, <laughs> for those of us who didn't make it to Sundance, uh, what did we miss?
2: I'm deferring to Richard because he saw a lot more movies than I did.
0: And he's still there. Is and you, he's still there. Can you hear the high altitude in his voice? I'm
2: still there.
1: Yeah, it's dark outside. Um <laughs> Well, the the latest news, I guess, is that the birth of a nation, Nate Parker's film.
2: Yeah, I'm dying to hear about it, Richard. Can you? What can you tell us about it? You know, I went to the premiere,
1: and uh, Nate Parker, the director and star, he plays Nat Turner. You know, of you know true true life historical slave who rebelled and was severely punished for it. He walked out on stage to introduce the film and got a standing ovation. Yeah. Wow. And that was for, um, you know, from a lot of his cast and crew were, were in the audience. But people were just really ready to like this movie. And, you know, with good reason. It tells a really important story that hasn't been told before. You know, it's, it's very, the comparison I heard a lot was Braveheart. It's mm. just big, sweeping, mm. About freedom and revo- rebellion, but you know, as opposed to Braveheart, really has relevance to today and feels very American and very resonant. It's not high art, n- nor with Braveheart, but Braveheart won bit Picture.
2: So it's not so. like it's not a Twelve Years a Slave type of a film that's very artistic and uh, in that sense, it's more of a, a movie movie.
1: Yeah, it's more of a movie movie. I mean, it, it, it takes some stabs at at. You know, sort of intent artistry um, that I think are are actually where the film kind of loses its way a bit. Like, I think that in the last half an hour, when Parker, um, as a director, as an actor, finds the focus of the movie, which is this rebellion and the historical implications of it, that's when the movie really sings in kind of depicting the more sort of in the, you know daily quotidian ins and outs of life on these plantations. I think he. It errs on the side of cliché a little bit. But yeah, I mean, the real power of the film comes in this big kind of rumbling, rousing, kind of epic scope that he's going for in in the vein of kind of more, a lot of big Hollywood movies of the past.
0: And this is his directorial debut, which is, I guess, adds to the impressiveness of it. Like, he's been known as an actor. He was in Beyond the Lights last year. But I don't know that anybody can, you know, watch someone's acting career and they expect them to come out of the gate with something that sounds like it's this big and and impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really impressive. And, you know, when he um, did his Q- the Q&A afterward, which was met with, I think, four more standing ovations. Oh, my God. He talked about wanting to get this movie made for seven years. And he told his agents that he said, I'm, I'm done acting until I get this project made. So this is beyond a labor of love for him. I mean, it, it was a calling. And that narrative, I think, almost to me feels becomes almost as righteous as the story that's being told, Mm. you know, and that it's his first film and, and not a film that he wanted to make, but a film that he needed to make. You know, there's a lot of obviously history in American sense, but also personal history involved here. And, you know, that all kind of conspires to make a movie that feels Really big and important, even if it's not the most, you know, um, artistically per- sound movie ever made.
2: So, Richard, you mentioned Braveheart winning Best Picture, and I know that the altitude there is high and the air <laughs> is thin. Uh, but make
0: your Oscar predictions now. But are you, you saying
2: <laughs> that this is a possible contender for for next year? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that. I think that that is a long way away. <laughs>
1: I think that. The narrative there is that Fox First like, knows how to market in an award sense these what they're calling difficult, you know, awards movies, which is an, an insane thing to say. That's an it's an amazing information. Okay. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't know that I don't I don't think it's necessarily best picture of uh, front runner right or anything like that. And it's I also genuine. It, so. it can have that campaign. It has that weight to it, it has that marketability. I think another huge factor in people wanting to market this film or buy this film is that it's deeply, deeply Christian. And, um, you know, Nat Turner, who Dane Parker plays, was a, he learned to read by reading the Bible and uh, became a preacher to um, fellow slaves and then sort of moved beyond that and then used uh, kind of the, the, the language of the Bible to kind of lead this rebellion. And there's a lot of that throughout the film. And so I think it will play very well in certain parts of the country, especially the South, where religion is a big, you know, daily focus. And, um, and that's hugely marketable, as we've found with kind of Tyler Perry movies to Heaven is for Real to Kirk Cameron movies. You yeah, know? all so, of Kirk um, Cameron's recent
0: career. Yeah, exactly. I, I also think it's hard to talk about this without outside the context of our previous segment talking about the Oscars and the controversy around the diversity and the idea that it's going to take a long time for studios to kind of get in gear to start making more movies to push toward the Oscars featuring diverse casts. But the quickest way to do it is to pick up a movie at Sundance and find something that they think can really succeed next year. And this seems like the absolute best way to do it. Like, Fox Searchlight can come out this fall with a movie that says, hey— You were really embarrassed for not, for only having all white people. Here is your chance to reward a really fascinating and compelling movie.
2: Well, and I also want to say, Richard, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, because I was there but not seeing movies. I was working on our video series with Krista, but I think that there seemed to be plenty of movies featuring diverse casts, lots of African-American-driven films that were very high-profile. So there's a, a little bit gives a lie to this excuse, like, oh, there's just not enough projects. It's like mm-hmm. the projects are there. The creative people are there. They're making the movies. They're just not getting picked up and marketed effectively, it, it, arguably.
1: Yeah, I mean, if there, were, there were a couple of interesting things I've seen along those lines. Morris from America, a film by Chad Hartigan that A24 picked up for a much smaller number than we're talking about uh, with Birth of a Nation. Yeah, you know, there has been stuff. I think that... That movie the thing stars Craig
0: Robinson, right? The uh, who's Yeah, the Craig office. Robinson
1: and a, and a newcomer named Marquise Christmas, who um, is, is really endearing. Um, the movie left me a little bit colder than I had hoped, and I, I think that that will be a, a, a thing to kind of, you know, work around for A24. But I think the thing with Birth of a Nation is that this is a big, corny I mean, it's corny is maybe it's not the right word, but it's, 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 it's so traditional. It's such a sort of familiar movie in, in the beats it hits and the kind of chords it strikes. It has this big sort of cheesy score that, that kind of animates most of the movie. And, and that's, you know, that's Oscar-y you know, event movie schmaltz that we've known since you know, we've started watching movies. The difference here is that it's about something that previously would never have been sort of memorialized in this kind of grand, sweeping fashion. And that's what makes this movie, you know, as opposed to a Morris from America, so distinctive here, is that this is not Sundance Fair. Yeah, that is not a typical Sundance
0: movie.
1: Yeah, and then it just, but it had, like you said, Katie, it just, it, it was able to have this particular showcase because this is where it fit. You know, Nate Parker worked with the Sundance Institute to get it made. And so it doesn't, you know, you watch it and it does not at all feel like Sundance Fair, but it feels important and necessary on a much different and much bigger frankly level.
0: So, Richard, is this the first movie? I mean, I've been watching this on Dance Coverage, and it, it doesn't feel like anything has really set the festival on fire in quite the way that Birth of a Nation did. Was there anything else that before this was getting similar? What about Swiss about?
2: Army Man? I feel like that, you know. <laughs> um, that was a fire the set necessary by a lot of <laughs> yeah.
1: and, um, I, You know, I texted someone after that movie, and I said, I don't think I like movies anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, uh,
0: what's the, what's, what, which movie is this one, Richard?
1: This is Swiss Army Man with uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano, where Daniel Radcliffe plays a dead body, literally, who saves Paul Dano from the brink of doom on an abandoned, on a lonely, deserted island. But is that island just in Paul Dano's mind? That's what the movie sort of investigates. And then there's farting and erections, <laughs> and it just... Keeps rolling. It's from these two guys who are in their 20s. They build themselves with Daniels, their music video director. You know, the, the audience for that, I went to the premiere, was packed. Everyone was really excited. And there were about, you know, I think people, articles have been written already about how many walkouts there were. It's a really divisive film. I've met people who like it. It's, you know, it's weirdness and it's kind of grand stabs at sort of Kaufman or Gondry-esque, Lindsay, it really <laughs> registered very cold to me. I didn't care for
2: it. Well, actually, one one possible Oscar thing that was at least getting discussed, again, in the high altitude, was uh, Molly Shannon and Other People, which was a pretty great performance and hit the notes of like a lot of weeping and having cancer and all that stuff. <laughs> Richard, did you see that one? Uh, yeah, I saw it at the opening
1: night. That's right, yeah. And yeah the response was huge, and you know I, I I said to a colleague, Julie Miller, who works for PS, um, I said to her, you know right now, Molly Shannon, if they did the Oscars tomorrow, she's won that's right <laughs> <my interest>. yeah
0: <laughs> oh, so many sundance films had wish have wished that would be possible mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and you know it but it the, the, the cool thing about that is
1: it doesn't have the feel of it feels substantial enough, like I actually think that if the movie gets the right kind of marketing and release time, especially that she could actually sneak in there. I mean, I thought that about... um, She did a movie years ago with Mike White called Year of the Dog, where she is the lead, and it's a very sort of serial comic movie, and I thought she was terrific in that mostly dramatic and as she pointed out at the Q and A for um, other people, you know, she started at NYU as a dramatic actress, so she's this is not necessarily new territory for her.
0: Well, I think so that know, was
1: exciting. The and, um, um,
0: the uh, route, the Sarah Silverman, I smile back route to awards consideration seems pretty possible for this. Right. It's a really, yeah. it well, sounds yeah, like a okay. really so similar she's, narrative.
2: She's a shoe in for a SAG nomination great.
0: <laughs> based on Sarah Silverman and Jennifer
2: well, Aniston. I, I think I think Richard, you're right though. Like the 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 worst case scenario for that film is me and Earl and the Dying Girl like Buzz mm-hmm. buzz coming out of Sundance and then it just flops when it's actually released. But I think that they could probably, you know, it's pretty good, and she's really good in it. I think they they just have to be cautious about how they release it, and, and maybe it's actually beneficial that it didn't get completely overwhelmed with hype the way me and Earl did mm. last year.
1: Yeah, I think that, that, you know, it was the opening night movie, and those can kind of vary in quality. Whiplash was one, well but
0: also this movie, The Bronze, that then got... Picked up a relativity right. and is now gone. I think.
1: Right, exactly. So, so this one kind of fell in the middle, and but it is able to kind of exist as its own thing. I think. You know, I was out with some um, journalists last night. Um, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but <laughs> I was out, and um, you know, people were really still talking about Molly Shannon in that movie. So that's a good sign.
0: Oh, so what else is it? What else are people still talking about then? What's the? Uh...
1: Well, I think. The, the big the big thing that really, you know, everyone's talking about because of this huge Amazon deal is, is Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. Um, Kenneth Lonergan's film with Casey Affleck and a kid named Lucas Hedges, who seems like this, you know, child of Massachusetts plucked out of obscurity. But his father is a film director who made Dan and Real Life in Pieces of April. Ah. Uh. But he doesn't show that Hollywoodness. He's very natural. It's, it's really one of the best kind of... Team performances on screen I've seen in a while Um, but that movie with its you know director who's made Oscar nominated films before Casey Affleck has been nominated for an Oscar before and it has this sort of length and heft of of something that feels it feels a little bit more substantial than most kind of Sundance fare in that way and you know Amazon bought its kind of domestic distribution rights and they're going to stream it but also give it a theatrical release and so there's a lot of kind of questions swirling about what that means for its Oscar chances that didn't seem to really work for *Beasts of No Nation*,
0: or uh, *Chirac*, which was Amazon's film. Uh, *Chirac*, that that's right. Year. Yeah.
2: Although I, th- I really still think I think people are blaming Netflix for *Beasts of No Nation*, and to me, it just was not a an Oscar-friendly film. It's a really good film, but it was just like – there was no toehold for the people we know who are in the Academy.
0: Hey, I got that SAG Ensemble nomination, so some yeah. awards voters went for it. Yes. But yeah, it is – I mean, there are so many theaters that won't show these movies that are distributed by Amazon well, and it's Netflix. A, like, it's a tricky situation. But also,
2: it's a perfect SAG Ensemble – type of a film. Anyway, we don't have to have this argument. Right now. <laughs> uh sorry Richard. You no, know, something people were talking about, you know, and I don't know if it actually really matters, is that on the
1: screener on, on a on Amazon on on streaming something like Manchester by the Sea, which is long and sort of deliberately paced and a real downer in a way though it kind of finds a bittersweetness sweetness by the end but you know this is something that people are going to be if they're watching just at home they're going to look at their phones they're going to yeah. go to the bathroom you know it it it, it 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 has a tenuous grasp on your attention in a, in, a, in a strange way academy wise is that really any different from people watching DVDs, you know, screeners of other movies? You know, I don't know. I don't know if that, so I don't know if that'll factor in. I think it's more kind of the stigma of, well, now, oh, now it's like a TV thing.
0: Well, I think this is how they try to get rid of that stigma. They pay crazy right. amounts of money for the most prestigious-y sounding movie at Sundance. And kick all the
2: old people out of the uh, voting yeah. body.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's
2: quite it's a, a time. Maybe Jeff from Bezos from is Jack. behind that move, actually. Ted and Jeff. Yeah.
1: I mean, I you know, I with with uh, with Manchester, I you know, I, I sort of uh, balk a little bit about at this being this guinea pig kind of test case almost because it's a movie that really does deserve not just audience attention but the attention of, of, of you know peers within the industry and and potential awards. I mean, it's a really exquisitely made film, and I hate to think of it being kind of lost to this sort of Amazon experiment. But, you know, we'll see. I think, you know, maybe Beast was the and Chirac were the real kind of test cases. And then this coming year, we'll, we'll, they'll get it right.
0: Yeah. Richard, to uh, wrap it up and let you go, is there a favorite, you have a favorite movie that you want us to look out for?
1: Um, I would say Manchester is pretty high up there. But just last night, I saw Iris Axe, who made Love is Strange, my favorite movie of 2014. He has a new film here called Little Men with Greg Kinnear and Jennifer Ely and two kids, one of whom is named Michael Barbieri, 14 years old. Who is just tremendous. It's a really small, intimate movie about New York and real estate and gentrification and sort of two teenage, young teenage boys sort of figuring a friendship out. And one of them is maybe questioning, you know, some identity issues. And it's tiny and lovely and really good. So I, I was kind of after some, some rocky patches of this festival, I saw that last night and was felt very renewed in a nice way.
0: That sounds like what uh, Sundance is doing at its best. So, that's exactly. Um, well, Richard, uh, hang in there. Don't let the altitude get to your head. And when you come back, we'll uh, we'll get all of your thoughts back at sea level and see how you really feel about all these movies. I think the
1: altitude's <laughs> already gotten to my head.
0: <laughs> Before we move on, a word from our sponsor.
3: This episode
1: of Little Gold Men is sponsored by Squarespace.com. If you wanted to start your own Oscar blog and compete with the likes of Gold Derby and VanityFair.com, you could. With Squarespace, you can make sites that look professionally designed regardless of your skill level with coding. There is no coding required, in fact. It has intuitive and easy to use tools, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code GOLDMEN, G-O-L-D-M-E-N, to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build a beautiful.
0: So, finally, it's time to go big before we go home. It's just me and Mike here again, but I want to talk about Best Director, which, like Best Supporting Actress, which we discussed last week, is really hard to predict, and it kind of feels like anyone could win. Mike, what's your boldest prediction? And you can't say Ridley Scott because he didn't get
2: nominated. You're making me answer this first? (laughs)
0: Well, you're the only other one here. Oh,
2: my God. I actually – I – I don't know. I (laughs) don't know.
0: I I feel like my prediction, which again is a bold prediction, but it's one you would like, I think it could be George Miller. I think that the size of that movie and the popularity of it and the sense that it can't win best or it probably won't win best picture, which we can talk about later. But I think he's accomplished something really huge, which is the award I thought Ridley Scott would get because the accomplishment of The Martian was huge, but he failed to get nominated, which was weird. Uh, So why not George Miller?
2: Um, (laughs) Adam McKay or Inyaritu or Tom McCarthy I really don't I, I don't guess know. Lenny
0: Abrahamson is the only one who we think is not
2: going to win he, he could but yeah that would seem a little less likely given that he doesn't have the best editing nominee and, and was sort of a surprise nomination yeah. in comparison to the he's a
0: very worthy nominee but seems unlikely to take it home
2: yeah I think the In your problem 2 problem is the two years in a row just to me that feels weird yes
0: if Birdman hadn't happened I think he would be walking away yeah. with it
2: and then Adam McKay I could see them being like alright Adam you're in the club but like let's just slow your roll for a second mm-hmm. but Tom McCarthy I could also see that movie's I don't know. That movie is so well it controlled. Is.
0: And he's worked for a long time as an actor. He knows a lot of people. Yeah. He's very, he's a very nice guy. Yeah, I know it's really maybe hard. I'm gonna
2: throw, maybe I'm going with Tom McCarthy. I don't know. This <laughs> it's really it's <laughs> we've broken
0: the system of predicting Oscars. <laughs> oh, Tom
2: McCarthy. Okay, go big and go home. Great. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>
0: That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you remember to rate us and review us on iTunes, we're always very appreciative of your feedback. You can find all of us talking about award season and everything else at VanityFair.com. And please check out those video interviews with Krista Smith and all of those uh, people at Sundance. They're really great. And thanks, Mike, for killing yourself for a few days to make them happen.
2: Krista was rocked up.
0: Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H, and Mike.
2: Mike underscore Hogan.
0: And Richard is at Rylaws, and we're all at Little Gold Men. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkel, and thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. You can find us along with many more great podcasts at panoply.fm. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow
3: to in between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.